before handing a spoon to use, his servants were required to wrap its handle in tissue paper and seal it with cellophane tape. A second piece of tissue was then wrapped over the first protective wrapping. On receiving the spoon, Hughes would use it with the handle still covered. Other reported instructions to his employees were even more elaborate. In order to remove his hearing aid cord from the bathroom cabinet, servants were told to use six to eight tissues to turn the knob on the bathroom door. Then use six to eight new tissues to open the bathroom cabinet and remove an unused bar of soap. Then wash hands. Use at least 15 tissues to open the door to the cabinet containing the hearing aid. Remove the sealed envelope containing the hearing aid with two hands using another 15 tissues in both hands. Hughes was so afraid of germs that he used four boxes of Kleenex each day, wiping off everything he touched. In spite of his immeasurable financial wealth, he spent his final days both mentally and physically incarcerated by his own incarceration terrors and elaborate cleaning rituals. It's reported that ironically, Hughes ended up neglecting his own hygiene later in his life, rarely bathing or brushing his teeth. And in the final decade of his life, Hughes worked for days without sleep in rooms shielded by black curtains. His meager diet and addiction to the drug codeine left him increasingly emaciated. He also stopped cutting the nails on his hands and feet, letting them grow to a grotesque length. When he died in 1976, his body was so thin that observers likened him to a captive from a Japanese prisoner war camp, Howard Hughes. Did you know that according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, over two in five, 44% or 8.6 million Australians aged 16 to 85 are estimated to have experienced a mental disorder at some time in their life. Anxiety disorders such as social phobia are the most common type of disorder affecting one in six. 17% or 3.3 million Australians followed by affective disorders such as depressive episode, 8%, substance use disorder such as alcohol dependence, 3%. Almost one in seven, 14%, children and adolescents aged four to 17 years old are estimated to have experienced a mental illness. 
5% or 800,000 people are estimated to have a severe mental illness of which half a million people have specific episodic mental illness and 300,000 have persistent mental illness. Mental and substance use disorders were the second largest contributor, 24% of the non-fatal burden of disease in Australia. Can I say to you tonight that there are people who are filled with fear about many things. Some are fearful of not getting that job promotion. Some are fearful of losing a job. Some are fearful of their children turning out wrong. And even some are fearful of being diagnosed with cancer. Some are fearful of war and terrorism. Some are fearful they will never find someone to marry. And indeed, some are fearful of dying. There's no feeling quite like the grip of fear. Fear has been described as small drops of doubt that flows through the mind until it wears such a great deluge that all of your thoughts drain into it. Tiny fears, almost unperceived, can build up day by day until one finds him or herself paralyzed and unable to function. Fear. Are you being stalked and paralyzed by the giant of fear tonight? Let's look at this matter of fear from a biblical standpoint and see how we can face up to this giant of fear. As you know, we've just started our series for evening service, Facing Our Giants. And last Sunday night, the first installment on this series was the giant of disappointment. When God says no, and I trust that We've learned and considered uh, that lesson, and we're now making personal applications out of that. Tonight, I want to cover and propose to you this giant of fear. The giant of fear. Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and once you've found your spot, will you please stand with me? 2 Timothy, just beginning here in, in chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, from verses 1 to 7. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier, uh, to be a soldier. I think I've got the wrong chapter. I'm meant to be in chapter 1, I'm sorry. 
forgive me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, here we go, by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I have served for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, thank you once again for this night. Thank you for indeed the privilege and the opportunity to preach your word and to do justice to it. Help me once again, Lord, as I deliver this message to all of us in this room. And indeed, Father, that if before the night is over, that we would indeed understand how to face our giants of fear. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us tonight. We give you all the praise and the glory because of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Understand firstly that fear is a fact and not a figment of somebody else's imagination. It is as real as night and day to someone suffering from it and being shackled by it. Here in verse 7, we find that the Greek word for fear here is phobos, from which we get the word phobia. There are, of course, many different kinds of phobias. There is claustrophobia, which is the fear of enclosed spaces. There is acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. That's my fear. There is hemophobia, the fear of blood. Gamophobia, the fear of marriage. Xenophobia, the fear of foreigners or strangers. And apparently, including these that I've already mentioned, there are some 700 phobias known to man at this time, and this, the list still keeps on growing. So as they discover and identify these phobias, they just add it to the list. Now, phobia is what results when there is an imbalance of fear and reason. It's an irrational fear of something that's unlikely to cause harm. Just as there are hundreds of phobias, there are also different kinds of fear found in the Bible. There is the holy or reverential fear, and that's a good fear. We should have this fear, both saints and sinners alike. It has two sides to it, beloved. 
In the one sense, there is that fear of what God will do to us as a matter of judgment or punishment. But in another sense, there is that fear of what we do or will do to and for God because we reverentially fear him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 to 15, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after gods, small g, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. My dear ones, my we constantly have this holy fear. To abstain from everything that displeases the Lord and doing absolutely everything to please Him. Secondly, there is the healthy fear. This one is related to the first. Beloved, there are things that the Lord Himself said that we are to fear. Turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, uh, a familiar verse here in verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 28, please. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We are to fear the Lord more than anything else. Uh, Peter Spark, a Sparky. I'm sure, brother, you have a healthy fear of electricity. If uh, during the time that he's still working, I'm sure he would agree with me that if he wants to go home to his wife, Jude, he has to have a healthy fear of electricity. Uh, If John Bertram is here, he would agree with me as well in his piloting flying days. Uh, You see the pilots, they uh, go over the exterior of the plane, um, then they'll go into the cockpit and they'll check all these buttons. They follow uh, an operations manual and they check and double check uh, because they have a healthy fear of the dangers of aviation. They wanted to make sure that the flight is not only smooth, but safe. If Dr. Stephen is here, he's a a doctor of medicine, of course. Uh, He has to be careful and he has uh, the fear of, healthy fear of his diagnosis because his patients' lives are at stake if he gets it wrong. Healthy fear. There is that healthy kind of fear that God has given us, that sense of caution to protect and preserve us. But the greatest fear that you and I must have 
is the holy and healthy fear of God. Now as there is holy and healthy, there is also the harmful fear. And that is the one that is found here in our text in verse 7. A destructive, hurtful, paralyzing fear. This fear captures the heart and the mind and then creates anxiety, tension, worry, which prevents a person from enjoying life and accomplishing his best, not only for himself, not only for those around him, but also to and for the Lord. Have you ever experienced that kind or spirit of fear? I have. And it's no fun. It's no fun. It's so debilitating and harmful that you can become a slave and a victim to it. You lose your confidence. You second guess yourself. The worst thing about it is you doubt and question your Lord and end up unable to go forward and move and you are stuck in this miry clay, clay of fear. I wish not that not to any one of you. This was what happened to the Israelites. As I said last time, they can see the promised land. It's just around, uh, it's just across the river. Indeed, the spies came back. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. They know that. But somehow, they can't seem to claim what God had already promised to them. Why? Because they were fearful of the giants in the land. The same is true with the disciples when they encountered a storm at the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 14 tells us that. Uh, we pick up the account here in verse 24, Matthew chapter 14, please. <clears throat> Again, uh, you've read this before. Uh, I'm just wanting to make a, a point. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But notice what the Lord said. Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Be not afraid. You see, fear got to the better of them. These are experienced fishermen. This, is, uh, this was their livelihood. They know the storms. They experienced it before. But they were so fearful. They failed to even recognize the Lord. You see, beloved, that's what fear does. It blurs our vision. Uh, it, uh, it troubles and torments us. What are you fearful about tonight? What kind of fear is haunting you? Is it your health? Finance, perhaps? 
relationships maybe, fear of failure? What is it that is distracting you, discouraging you, and God forbid, destroy you? If fear is a fact, and it is, what is or what are the fruits of it? You see, fear has a far greater effect on us than what we realize. Firstly, fear will affect us Physically. Physically. Associate Professor Mary Moller of the Pacific Lutheran University School of Nursing <clears throat> and Director of Psychiatric Services at Northwest Center for Integrated Health has this to say. Quote, the potential consequences of fear on overall physical, emotional, environmental, and spiritual health of a person generally include immune and endocrine system dysfunction, nervous system alterations, sleep and wake cycle disruption, eating disorders amongst others. It also includes headaches turning into migraines, body aches turning into chronic pain, difficulty in breathing turning into asthma, muscle aches turning into fibromyalgia, that is a condition that causes pain and muscle stiffness in many parts of your body. Other effects of chronic fear on emotional health include disconnecting or separating from self, inability to have loving feelings, learned helplessness, phobic anxiety, mood swings, and obsessive and compulsive thoughts. No doubt about it, fear is directly responsible for a large proportion of the ills of the human body. Turn your Bibles again to Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. If you found Psalms, you just go one book uh, before that. Job chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, this is uh, Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, uh, in verse 14, uh, said, Fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Verse 15, Then a spirit passed before my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. How's your physical state tonight? You sleeping well? <coughs> Having migraines lately? Are your muscles aching, stiff? Is it possible that you're living in fear? Secondly, Fear affects us vocationally, as in our mission, our vocation, and our purpose for Christ. Back in our text here in 2 Timothy uh, 1, <clears throat> uh, verses uh, 7 and 8, we find here, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. 
Then Paul said, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What's happened here? What's happened to Timothy here? Is it possible that fear came upon him, thinking that he might end up like being the Apostle Paul uh, in prison, uh, ultimately lose his life? Uh, he has, has he lost his confidence in the power of Christ in the gospel that he stopped testifying and standing for Christ? Beloved, do you realize that fear is the number one reason why Christians aren't witnessing and evangelizing for Christ? The enemy has been very successful in making us fearful that kept us from standing and speaking up for Christ. How many times have we, me included, been afraid of letting people know that we are Christians? For fear of incrimination, embarrassment, and yes, perhaps alienation and persecution. The story is told of a farmer who was asked... <clears throat> How is your cotton coming along? The farmer said, I don't have any cotton. I did not plant any because I was afraid of the boll weevil. The boll weevil, by the way, is an insect, a beetle, in fact, that feeds on cotton buds and flowers. They destroy cotton plantations and the cotton industry as a whole. And so I didn't plant cotton because of the boll weevil. Well, the man said, how is your corn doing? He said, I didn't plant any corn because I was afraid of the drought. How about potatoes? The farmer said, I didn't plant any for I was too scared of the potato bugs. The stranger, flustered and frustrated, finally asked, so just what did you plant as a crop? The farmer said, nothing. I just played it safe. you know that we can be the same as this farmer? We become so fearful. We end up doing nothing. Never reaching our full potential because we don't face up to the giant of fear. Is this you to know? Fixated in your fear that you never end up accomplishing anything for the Lord or otherwise? Oh, I hope not. I pray not. Fear affects us physically. It affects us vocationally. And thirdly, fear affects us more importantly. It should be the first. It affects us spiritually. Fear affects us spiritually. Verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Timothy has the gift. Spiritual gifts from God. The idea here is the Lord endowed him with gifts. Grace gifts if you like. And was recognized by the putting on of hands by the Apostle Paul. That means ordination. That setting apart 
that public recognition and statement of a man's God-given gifts or calling into the ministry to preach and teach the word of God and the solemn setting apart of that man into the gospel ministry ordination. It is a special time of public surrender to the Lord either as a pastor or as a deacon, to exercise his God-given gifts to the exaltation of the Savior, the edification of the saints, and the evangelization of the sinners out here. Paul admonished and encouraged Timothy to remember and stir up, meaning to rekindle the gift of God in him, that at this time, Timothy was failing to use. His zeal and fervor had cooled down, and since he hadn't been using the gifts, he had forgotten what he had. And so Paul challenged him to remember. For Timothy has forgotten who he was, his heritage, uh, his fate from his mother Eunice, and his grandmother Lois. He has forgotten, or better said, he has withheld what gifts God gave him. And through these gifts, he has withheld from what God wanted done through him. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit tonight? Have you forgotten your ordination? Your surrender? Your setting apart for the Savior and His saints? Now, what caused him to forget or withhold? Fear. And the spirit of fear. Hence, Paul said in verse 7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, Timothy, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, beloved, if we are so focus on fear. You will forget who you are in Christ. And you will fail to understand what you can and are to do through and with him. Fear will make you forget the blessings of God. I'm speaking to a room of people here with spiritual gifts. You have been gifted by God, but perhaps because of fear, it is preventing you from realizing the full blessings of God instead. It stifles you. And if you continue to be fixated at or with your fear, your vision of confidence in God will be blurred. And you will miss or at least forget his blessings. For you have been far too busy being fearful rather than trusting him with and in your fears. The sad reality here is if there's anyone that is really should be fearful, it is the Apostle Paul. He's the one in prison in Rome expecting to lose his life for his head to be chopped off any time at any moment. Imagine that. Paul didn't know whether he will see daylight. Paul didn't know whether he will exist the next day. Is it going to be today that I'll be executed? Is it going to be this afternoon tonight? 
Imagine how stressful that is. But look at Paul in verse 12. He said, for the which cause I also suffered these things. He didn't ignore his sufferings, beloved. But look at his focus. Uh, uh, notice where, where it is directed. For I know I have believed whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day or until that day. What is that day? That is the Bema day. The judgment seat of Christ day. The day of reckoning. Even in the deathly situation he found himself in. Paul hasn't forgotten who and how great God is. Think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. In particular the one who buried the talent and hid it into the ground. Do you remember what he said? Verse 25 of Matthew 25. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Fear kept him, prevented him from doing what his master wanted him to do, to invest, to exercise his God-given gifts. My dear ones, fear is stifling and affecting you spiritually tonight, is it? Have you been failing to exercise good stewardship of the gifts that God has entrusted you? Are you forgetting who God is and who you are to him due to fear? And so fear is a fact and it is. It also affects us physically, vocationally, and most importantly spiritually. So how do we face up to this giant of fear? Here's our application now. How do we free ourselves from fear? Is it even possible to be free from it? Well, what is the antidote from fear? Would you believe it if I say to you that it's a very simple phrase that's already found in the scriptures? You theologians in the room, do you have an idea what it is? Ready for it? The antidote to fear is to fear not. Hmm? In Genesis 15:1, Scripture records for us for the first time, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. In the last book of the, the, the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, we find here the last fear not recorded. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. In between Genesis and Revelation, there is another 60 references of that phrase called fear not. It is in the imperative sense. That means it is a command. Can I say to you tonight that God has commanded us not to fear and need not to be fearful. And it follows that if we are fixating in fear, we are disobeying his command. 
Notice in our text again here in verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Acts 1.8 confirms this for us. But ye shall receive what? Power. After the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you tonight? If so, then you need to understand and remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you need not fear him. Beloved, God is with you, within you, and around you. Ponder on this. If God is our Father up above us, if Christ is our friend that is beside us, and if the Holy Spirit within us is the force, is more than a force, he's a person, of course, who can be against us, and why should we fear anyone or anything? We are surrounded by the triune Godhead. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God endows us with power. Secondly, he enriches us with love. Still in verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, number one, but of power, and number two, but of love. Now, Pastor Man, how can love remove fear? Well, don't take my word for it. Take God's word. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. <clears throat> there is no fear in love, but perfect love, what? Casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect, in love. Now understand, beloved, so we just get this verse right and we uh, exegete it properly. Understand that this does not mean that my love, your love, or our love of God is perfect because it's not. Not in this lifetime anyway, not yet. In fact, we did not read the next verse. The only reason we can love, even in our imperfect love, is because God, or he, first loved us. And so be encouraged, beloved, that even though uh, our love for God is imperfect, but here's the thing, his love for us is perfect. Aha. That means you and I need not be afraid. Because he loves us perfectly, and if that is so, and it is, then we know that everything that happens to us, we know work together for good to them who have been enriched with God's love to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Amen. Isn't that amazing? So here's the thought. If we, in our imperfect love, would not purposely do anything that will harm or hurt our children or anyone for that matter, why then would we not trust our God who has and will always have a perfect love for us, his children. Why would we even think or entertain the thought that he would do or allow something to hurt us? Matthew 7, verses 9 to 11, What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? 
If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? The truth is, when we realize and trust his perfect love upon us, his children, it takes our fears away. We can pray and say, Lord, Lord, no matter what happens to me in this life, I know that I am your child and you love me with such a perfect love and therefore anything that happens to me is going to work out for good because I am your child and you are my father. My dear ones, the Lord endows us with his power. He enriches us with his perfect love. And thirdly, as we close, he enlightens us with his wisdom, giving us a sound mind, as you see here. The word sound here is, ooh, I'll attempt here, sophronos, sophronismos, and has the idea of a disciplined, self-controlled, sober, sound mind. It conveys discernment, spiritual discernment, that is. Somebody said, we not only have been given God's power, God's protection, we have also been given God's perspective, obviously, from and through his word. That means God has given us wisdom. After all, if any of us lack wisdom, what should we do? We should ask of God, who giveth to us liberally and upbraideth not. Isn't that the case? James 1.5, of course. So, do you know... Um, sorry, the, the reason, uh, and when we exercise that discerning mind, that sound mind, we can really see fear for what it really is. And, and the reason for this, I was going to say that so much of our fears are really unfounded. American Christian and Baptist author, salesman, and motivational speaker Sig Siglar said that fear... F-E-A-R is often false evidence which appears real. False evidence which appears real. And you know what? He may actually be right. <laughs> false evidence which appears real. Fear. And so by way of application, how do we how can we face our giant of fear? Well, I believe we first of all admit our fears. Admit that from time to time we are influenced and slaved by fear. Uh, there's no point having a bravado here that fear doesn't affect us. Beloved, even King David, the man who has slain his ten thousands, at one point in his life, or many points in his life, he has been afflicted by fear. But notice what he said in Psalm 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. To pretend and not admit that fear is a fact and that it doesn't affect us will not solve our problem with it. And so firstly, by way of application, admit our fears. Secondly, um, uh, whilst we're admitting uh, that uh, we have or be influenced by fear, we must act or activate our faith in God. 
admitting and acting uh, go hand in hand. When God said, fear not, you better believe it in faith without faltering. Arrive at a full assurance that no matter what comes your way in this life, you will but trust the Lord and his word actively. Psalm 112, verse 7, he that is the believer, of course, shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is established. He shall not be afraid. Is your heart fixed with the Lord and established in the Lord? Admit your fear. Activate your faith. And then thirdly, or should really be the first, acknowledge your Father in heaven. Isaiah 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Psalm 56, verse 3, again, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. During World War II, a military governor met with General George Patton in Sicily. When he praised Patton highly for his courage and bravery, the general replied, Sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is, I am an utter craven coward. I have never been within the sound of a gunshot or inside of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands, end of quote. Years later, when Patton's autobiography was published, it contained this significant statement by the general, quote, I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. I ask you again tonight, how are you facing your fears tonight? By fixating on it or trusting by faith in Jesus? Your choice. Choose wisely. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Indeed, Father, we realize that at one point or another we are influenced by fear. We have to grapple with it. We have for some time be fixated on it. It's real. It's a fact. It affects the best of us. Oh, Father, but I pray tonight that we would be like King David when he said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Father, I look at the world tonight, the, 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 the situation that we're all facing, uh, and Father, if we're not careful, if we get so fixated on the narratives of doom and gloom, we will just be fearful. Oh, Father, I pray that in these times of fear, mongering, and the prophets of doom, oh God, I pray that we would trust in you. That we would, 62 times you have mentioned, fear not. Lord, that we would look to you for grace, strength, and mercy for. Lord, the days upon us are really unstable it's volatile uh, it seemed to have everything going wrong we can't trust the system 
oh, but we can trust you. And so for all the troubles and storms of life in this our time, dear God, I pray that we would indeed trust you. And we will not take counsel from our fears. We give you the praise and indeed the thanks. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Trusting Jesus, 262 will be our closing hymn.